0: either one of these any good wow this is a good movie it's pretty good yeah, well the director from yesterday doesn't think so It stinks. you sorry you waste all our film
1: it's so bad
0: Well, A Quiet Place 2 showed us that there are people ready to get back in the theater. So we'll see what the choices are this week, not only in theaters, but for home streaming as well. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. We'll start off with another spooky one. This is uh, the Warrens investigating a murder that may be linked to a demonic possession. It's the latest in the Conjuring franchise The Devil Made Me Do It. The court accepts the existence of God every time a witness swears to tell the truth. I think it's about time they accept the existence of the devil.
1: I'm only interested in reality. But I can see things that your people can't. Master Satan is not an adversary
2: to be taken lightly. She's doing it
0: again. I kind of was joking about this title when I, ever since I first heard it, it sounded kind of cheesy to me. I mean, it makes sense to go along with the story because, as usual for these uh, conjuring movies, it's from the files, the real files of Ed and Lorraine Warren, and when you dig into it, it is interesting because it involves what appears to be the first ever use in a courtroom of a murder defendant using the defense of demonic possession. That, that is interesting.
2: It is interesting, and actually the story stays pretty close to what the the, you know, The guy testified Mm -hmm. as to having happened to him and how he came to be possessed by demons and then went on to to murder somebody. Then after that, it goes a little. The story, the film takes a takes a, a hard left while we and the Warrens, played again by Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson, sleuth out. Uh, sort of Scooby-Doo style, <laughs> what, <laughs> what it is, how this fella came to be cursed. Her, she does kind of wear a turtleneck. She it's does. Not, it's not a sweater. Don't compare but, her to Velma. <laughs> She's not in Velma's league.
0: But they are really... I mean, they are, they have such a, a great obvious chemistry now after three yeah. films. They really did in the first one, too. But they really drive this movie. And this, so it's the third in the Conjuring series. It's the eighth in the overall universe. Yeah. And when, even when you look at all eight films... None of them have been real dogs. I mean, you've got the first Conjuring at the top. That's just a classic. Yeah. And uh, even the, the Conjuring 2, which was a step down. And this one, I think, is maybe a, a half step down from Conjuring 2. It's not bad. It's not terrible. And it does deliver some creeps and some scares. It just, by nature of the story, by nature of the case, it goes off in a little different direction that I don't think we thought was as satisfying.
2: Right, well because it's not a haunted house story, right? So, you know, it's it's really not. There's there's it's it's a, it's it's like a true tr- true crime almost. Yeah, like Satanists cursing someone yeah. and then they have to like sleuth out who is it right. and why are they doing
0: it and how can we put a stop to it. Right.
2: And and yeah, and I don't think that it works as well. Um it feels uh it's sprawling a little bit. Uh, there are still some really effective creepy sequences and There are. Yeah. A very, very cute little kid in oversized glasses, and I can't tell you how much I love to see that in a movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and he's mainly involved in the opening sort of a prologue, which is effective. Yep. I, d- I do think they do a good job. This is director Michael Chavez. Yes. Has taken it over, and they're still a decent job with not cheapening... The jump scares. I mean, when they do do them, I, I don't think they're as cheesy as they are in other movies. So I always, I always expect that now of this series.
2: Right. I mean, Chavez. His uh, he also did the weakest of all of the films of the franchises, which is the Curse of La Llorona, and yeah. and I feel like you can you you feel the absence of James Wan in this film because I think that he does a better job of building dread and of sort of keeping everything visually very satisfying.
0: You know, I. Feel Forgot about the Curse of La Llorona. If if you count that, then it's nine. Wow. So I forgot about that. I was only thinking about the Annabelle movies, mm-hmm. but so I think that makes it nine. But anyway, no, that's a good point. It just doesn't. It, it just doesn't. It loses something when you, like you said, when you move it out of the haunted house or or uh, a one set location that you're, they're trying to expel from. Yeah. Instead, you've got this curse that is following this young man right. uh, who uh, was. Put on trial for murder in the early—it's the early 1980s. Yeah,
2: I and here's the thing about this: is that is that so Edler and Warren are real people, and uh, you know no one in real life took them particularly seriously. So the film franchise does, but in real life they were just people who. Kind of uh, made the most of the satanic panic of, from the late seventies through the early early nineties, and they fanned that fire. They made a lot of money. they well? I don't know how much money they made off of it, but the money they have, they owe to it. And the thing about this particular film is. I don't mind so much the idea that people believe Satan is real or that people believe ghosts are real. I think that's very spooky. But the Satanic Panic, that that era in history, did a lot of genuine damage to a lot of real people by suggesting that Satan worshippers were responsible for crimes. And this movie does that, Mm -hmm. and for that reason, I don't like this movie nearly as well. I can't find it as satisfying because... It seems like the ugliest kind of pandering that was happening at the time.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. But it does benefit from the two main stars, I mean Wilson and Farmiga make continue to make these characters uh, worth getting invested in.
2: Well, and as we were saying earlier today on TV, the two of them, the performances are so strong, they convince you, the audience, that these characters truly believe what they're saying, oh, yeah. which gives the whole film, no matter how silly it becomes, a little bit more gravitas. Yeah. You want to believe them as well.
0: Right, And and there still are some effective... Creepy and scary moments. And, yeah. it, and it is rated R. Yeah, so it's not like they're they're soft peddling it. I mean, they're going for the R.
2: No, and again, as we said earlier, not for gore. It's right. not it's right. it's for scares. Yeah. They're, they're it's trying to be a scary movie, and I think in in a lot of in, instances it succeeds.
0: Yeah. So, of the three Conjuring movies, we would probably rank this third. Yes, but uh, still not terrible at all. And if you if you're a big fan of uh, just the scares and the creeps, you'll get some. But there's the, no
2: Bill Wilkins. Say it.
0: My name is Bill Wilkins, and this is my house. <laughs> Don't they, they kind of make a, a so, there was a some part of it when I w- started to go there, when we watched this. Don't they make a reference <laughs> to, to Bill Wilkins? <laughs> anyway, yeah, but there's still some, some decent uh, scares there, if you're into it. It's Conjuring, Devil Made Me Do It, and it's out in theaters right now. Let's go animation next. Lucky Prescott's life has changed forever when she moves from her home in the city to a small frontier town and befriends a wild mustang named Spirit. It's Spirit Untamed. This horse got a lot of spirit.
1: It's in your heart to run free. It's in mine too. <laughs> Say you'll remember me Jump! you stay away from that horse. We need to get Spirit back to his family. Sign me up. Say you'll remember me <laughs> <laughs>
0: I believe in you lucky. You have your mother's spirit. Trust me.
2: Lucky! We'll get your family back spirit. We'll need the strength of a thousand marshmallows.
0: Okay, so this is the sequel to
2: what was it? Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron okay. from
0: 2002. And, the, and all of it is based on apparently a Netflix original series.
2: I think the series falls between the two movies. Okay,
0: there you go. So um, this is from DreamWorks. And it's interesting because the 2002 version was all traditional animation. Mm-hmm. This is all CGI, mm-hmm. for whatever that is worth. It still looks good. It, it does. does. It does look good. And it's nice for the families, especially if you've got a young girl who likes horses. They're going to be in heaven with this.
2: Yeah, it's true. And it, you know, it, it's it's got a great. Um, you hate to say girl power, right? But it's got a nice message where these three little girls hang out together. They're good friends. They support each other. You know, it's a three amigos kind of a situation. Then they go on this quest to you know help this stallion and his herd be free. And it's it's it is and it's they a a, nice.
0: And they got to triumph over the bad guys. Mm-hmm. A little gang of rustlers that want to steal these horses.
2: Yeah, it is totally nice. And it's got a a good vocal cast. It does. It's
0: led by Isabella. Well, now she goes by Isabella Merced. It was Moner from uh, Sicario and Dora, uh, who's from Cleveland, by the way. And and Instant Family, she was so good at Instant Family. I think she's
2: always good.
0: She's good. Anyway, she's going by Isabella uh, Merced now. She's the lead. Then you've got Jake Gyllenhaal and McKenna Grace, Julianne Moore, yeah. Walton Goggins, Walton Goggins, yeah. So yeah. you're right, uh, but it, it just it doesn't reach the say the profundity of of maybe the best of Pixar. No, I always hate to go there, but you kind of do. Yeah, I mean the, that's where the bar is. <laughs> so it, it doesn't reach those heights, but it's perfectly fine. It is. It's, it's a
2: nice movie, and it looks good, and does. it's in theaters right now. And so I feel like it's a it's not a bad one to take your kids to to sort of. You know, get back into the air-conditioned habit of the movie theater. Right. The
0: only thing we were saying, and we're not going to spoil it at all, but by the end, they do, of course, leave it wide open for another installment. But we found the way they left it kind of curious and... and problematic, even. A little bit to the, to the spirit, uh, no pun intended, of the entire movie. Yeah. So I'm sure there will be another one. Let's see where they take it. Because if they do take it where it appears they're leading, it would be a, a little bit problematic. But... Just talking about this installment, it is perfectly fine and nice for a family adventure, and it is in theaters now. Spirit Untamed. How about a family documentary? Take a stroll down Sesame Street and witness the birth of the most impactful children's series in TV history. From the iconic furry characters to the songs you know by heart, learn how a gang of visionary creators changed our world. It's Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street.
2: This was an experiment. Tag! You're it. No one had ever seen anything like
1: it. I wanted to capture the family aura. Hi,
0: bird. Ah! ah,
1: ah Arnie. But I don't think any of us sat there thinking, oh my god, we're changing the world. It was all of us having the time of our lives, but always with this message that television could be socially valuable.
2: Loved it.
0: <laughs> you know what I thought was cool because it, they use the song in yeah. the trailer of yeah. course and everybody kind of sings it in their head that that whole campaign was originally based around telling people how to find the show on their local channel. It's amazing. How do you get to Sesame Street yeah. It makes perfect sense. And then that show is that uh, song has just become ingrained uh, to go along with the with the series and it's it's one of those deals where as you watch it and it gives some great history, some great history about the beginnings of the show and the people that were uh, behind it that you've probably never heard of before, as long, as as well as people you have like Jim Henson. Uh, so that history and the the cultural relevance that it has con- that it r- did reach continues to reach, but also some surprising motivations of some of the uh, the creators behind this. I thought that was very interesting about who they were trying to reach from the very beginning. Uh, was, was really interesting to me. and And also, if you're of a certain age, you're going to see some of these classic moments that you remember watching the first time. I'm like, oh, I remember that part or when they did this. And it's really heartwarming. And of course, it's a... It's it's a great show that has carved its mark in in popular culture uh, for for a good reason, and we've seen you know we've seen movies now about Mister Rogers, mm-hmm. both documentary and narrative. Mm-hmm. Then there were a few years ago there was that really good documentary just about the guy that played Big Bird. Yep, and he also did also Oscar the Grouch mm-hmm. called I Am Big Bird. Look that up, especially if you like this, because that would be a perfect double feature for this but um it's it's just really heartwarming and nice to see and funny especially if you just if you want to hang and you do at the very end for the outtakes where some of the muppets uh get getting on each other oh my god
1: that's
2: hysterical funny. also i love that you know you discover that that uh, Frank Oz and Jim Henson basically were Burton Ernie. I <laughs> yeah. love that. I love that so much. I and know. and also I loved uh, they they spent a lot of time with the two main songwriters. And you know, yep. I mean, those are brilliant. Those the songs, yes. not just obviously like the the ones that stick with you forever, like it ain't easy being green, mm-hmm. but also they talked to the other songwriter who did those. Like like Letter B? Yeah. I mean, and those are the ones that you and I, through our own childhood and then ri- our son's childhood, you know, uh, with a rebel L, yeah. la, la, yeah. la, yeah. and Born to add. I mean, those are hilarious. Well, those one, are
0: so good. The one guy, in talking about that songwriter, said that he had an uncanny ability to write a song... That sounds just enough like another song, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like yeah, it worked perfectly. So yeah, there's there's just a lot of fun here and a lot of history to to learn about the first time I think for for a lot of people. Well, you'd have to be a real real Sesame Street head to know some of this already. I mean, it really went down some, broke some new ground. I think for me, but it's worthwhile knowing because these people even though they didn't think so at the time look what they brought into the world oh yeah you know just just based around the fact that kids were already watching so much tv mm-hmm. let's have them watch something that teaches them something mm-hmm. simple idea but uh, boy hard to get off the ground at first but but turned into a, turned into something legendary so yeah we liked this and it is in it's in select theaters and it, like like here in town, in Columbus, it's at the Drexel, but uh, it's also on, on VOD. It is. Yeah, and worthwhile. Street gang. How we got to Sesame Street. <laughs> Let's do a foreign language film next. Undina works as a historian lecturing on Berlin's urban development, but when the man she loves leaves her, the ancient myth catches up with her. She has to kill the man who betrays her and return to the water. This is Undina. What? This is the latest from German filmmaker Christian Petzold, who, if you're not familiar, he's just great. He is. Get to know him. Oh, man. He did a movie a few years ago. I don't think it was his last one called Phoenix that I loved. In a movie called Barbara. He he has a way with making his movies seem so simple, but they're not and his characters have these strange strange obsessions, and his shot selection is fantastic, and his pacing and editing, and it looks great. He's just one of those guys that flies under the radar, but man, look up his films, because they are good, and this one is good. And yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like it said in the synopsis there, you have a romance that goes bad, okay, that happens, but then immediately she falls into this mythology that she has to return to the water as a nymph, but first, she has to kill this man. Like, what? what? Yeah. Where did this come from? And it's such a fascinating mix of history and mythology because, uh, and Undina, Undina is played by uh, Paula Beer, and she's great. And then she gets into a new romance with Christoph, who's played by Franz Rogowski, who's also very, very good. And so they start their own real intense romance, and the the uh, preoccupation or the the obsession with the water continues because Christoph's job is an industrial diver. Mm. So he's always in the water and getting some dangerous into some dangerous situations. So even as they have an intense relationship, she never really completely lets go of Johan, her 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 past relationship. And it's just fascinating the way it goes. And, and she, as her personal life suffers more upheaval, her lectures, her her historical lectures start reflecting that. And the, the way it just mixes history and reality and mythology is fascinating. And it looks gorgeous, especially the underwater scenes, fantastic. And it's just so crisp and it moves so quickly. It's just, just another feather in this guy's cap, really. Uh, Christian Petzold, I'm interested in whatever he does. And this is another winner. I wouldn't say it's quite, it doesn't, it doesn't deliver quite the punch that Phoenix did right? but but it's good and really worth checking out it's on VOD right now called Undina let's do another one that's based in history this is a young widower sidestepping grief loss and familiar dysfunction when he steals his wife's ashes and sets off on an impulsive odyssey through America's heartland to find something he'd lost long before her death this one's called Monuments I've been seeing her Laura she's gone man
1: we've got to do what we need to do to put her to rest and move on. What? I want to report a stolen car. Ro, shampoo. In the scatter, you were we were the happiest. Chicago is the answer. Am I you dreaming? You're not dreaming, Mia's dead.
2: I'm lost, or my ashes are anyway, and my whole family wants you arrested. Um, I'm sorry about that, too, right now. I can't do anything with sorry action, Ted.
0: <laughs>
2: and like Indina, so this one starts off with uh, the character is a history professor, and he is lecturing right now on death. Rituals in ancient Egypt, and so the the movie sometimes goes back to that, and it's basically it's a lot about how exactly is this man supposed to process his wife's death, and does he believe in an afterlife, and where you know, and how is he supposed? But really, what it's about is he, as a human being, does not know how to move on without her. Right. Uh, and strangely enough, it is a comedy. It's yeah. a sometimes slapstick almost right. comedy. I
0: was going to say that it just gets nutty.
2: It really does. Um, and. Uh, He, since her death, has just been walking around with her ashes, and her family is not pleased about that. So they steal it, and they try to have their own uh, ceremony, and he steals it back, and then he steals a truck. (laughs) And that's where he gets in trouble, because you can steal back your wife's ashes. You really can't take this other guy's truck. So then there's a cross-country chase where the family's after him and the police are after him, and he stops by these weird places. And And as he stops there... It's got
0: those funny moments where people are in a an awkward situation and they stand there for a minute and then they just take off running yeah, that's like
2: they're going to get out of it that way <laughs> but you're not <laughs> that's not going to do it. <laughs> it you know so it takes on an, an unusual road picture kind of a feel about it and i don't think i don't think that the slapstick uh comedy and then the more surreal elements because most of the stops along the way get surreal for a minute or two yeah I don't think they blend very well. I don't think the humor and the grief blend very well. And so it, it leaves you kind of feeling like the film itself is far more superficial than I think the script probably was. So it's not entirely satisfying. It's 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 weird and random enough to keep your attention. That is for sure.
0: Yeah, that's the word that kept coming back to you in talking about this was random. And I, I can see that. It's uh, co-writer Jack C. Newell. He directed it as well. And, yeah, one that when you you started talking about it early on, you wouldn't think that, oh, did I mention it's a nutty comedy? Right. But but that's what it is. That's what it turns into. And it's on uh, VOD uh, called Monuments. (laughs) Next is one that is definitely not a comedy. Three teens living in L.A., all victims of extreme childhoods, wreak a hedonistic riot across the city over the course of 48 hours, unbound by societal norms. They take us on a rip-rowing ride of drugs and murder across L.A. It's called Gully. Today,
1: things will be different. Somehow One. that voice inside knows you. there's a storm coming. Hello. Ah! Jesse! Get over here, dope. Ah! Ah! Who's responsible for our misery?
0: You Put your hands so I can see him! We're gonna handle
1: it.
2: Well, just to start this cast, holy cow!
0: Yeah, it's a great cast. This one's been sitting around since uh, 2019 and is finally getting a release. And that's why these young actors, even though the film is coming out after you've seen them in other movies, they look younger because it's been you've got Kelvin Harrison Jr., uh, Charlie Plummer. And then Jacob Lattimore, they are the three friends. All three terrific young actors. And yeah, they they to put it mildly, they have suffered some seriously traumatic events in their childhood. But now they just pretty much live for violent video games, partying, doing drugs, and hanging out. They don't have really much use for anything else or anybody else, just the three of them. And uh, then uh, a real startling, devastating discovery sends them off. On this rampage for 48 hours, and I'm telling you, it is in your face and and brutal and nihilistic, and it, it really doesn't care if you think it is because that's what it is, right? Um, and but it's one that I I found myself still thinking about. It doesn't always work um, the uh, the way it's presented. It's director Nabil Elderkin and writer Marcus J. Guillory and the feature debut for both of them. They both worked in videos and in TV a lot. But a lot of the violence blurs the line between video game and reality, which is an ambitious play does doesn't always work but does sometimes and then you have some contrast in characters with all the other support characters you've got a uh, Terence Howard plays this uh, homeless neighborhood philosopher who just wanders around. Then you've got Jonathan Majors, who we I love him so love. much. He is a, a guy from the neighborhood, an older guy who comes back after serving some time in prison, and he is he is concentrating on getting his life together. He wants to stay clean, so he's totally the opposite of these three boys, who because of their upbringing have zero hope for the future at all. Right? They're just concerned about revenge after they make this discovery and just laying waste to pretty much everything. And uh, boy, it is—it's as you can tell—it is not the feel-good movie of the year at all. No, but it's got a great cast. You've also gonna—you're gonna see, you're gonna see uh, people like Robin Givens, Amber Heard, uh, John Corbett. So a lot of familiar faces. A really good cast, led by these three terrific actors. But but just know what you're in for because this is messy and it's defiant and it is brutal and violent. But uh, I thought for the most part it was effective. And for both this writer and this director, I think it signals the fact that. There could be something there. Right. There's some potential there. And I'm interested to see what they do next. But this is a gully finally getting a, a release after a, a few years on the shelf. And it is out in select theaters this weekend and on VOD as well. Let's head to Shudder. A lone drifter suffering from partial memory loss accepts a job to look after a psychologically troubled woman in an abandoned house on an isolated island. This is Caveat. <laughs> Well, it's interesting, this morning when we were on our TV gig, one of the hosts, we already know that she's a, a horror movie fan, but today we were like, you don't have Shudder? Come on! <laughs> that's right! So I think we sold her on Shudder. <laughs> I think so, too! And it's for movies like this, because this is creepy.
2: Yeah, it is. It's so good. And I love movies just like this. There is a total of three people in this cast. Uh, there's maybe, maybe four total sets. You're almost entirely in this isolated house that's out on an island. And um, and and everybody, film all three of them—they're so wonderful. And the the way that the film uses these locations is is really excellent as well, because uh, your lead. Isaac, we realize, has had some sort of an injury, and we don't really know what it is. Barrett wants him to believe that they're friends, but we, the audience, are like, I don't know that you are. But he just—he's very hushed about things. He just needs a favor, just a favor, <laughs> you know. And uh, it's such a great setup. And then they get to this island, and he and, and he needs to look after Barrett's sister just for a few days, Olga. Olga. But in the meantime, Olga has panic about uh about being attacked at night so he has to wear this vest that's chained What? You have to yeah. what? No there are so many bad decisions happening, but the way they set it up with this guy, he's kind of fuzzy about what's going on. Anyway, you buy all of it. It's so effective. They have not a lot of jump scares, not a lot of... I mean, it's just this creeping dread with images that are sort of primal fear and revulsion mm-hmm. without ever explaining it to you. And in the end, it really works itself out in a very creepy but satisfying way. It turns into kind of a survival picture, as many times horror films do.
0: Yeah, this is writer, the writer and director, Damian McCarthy. So another... Irish. Yeah. Another Irish horror. Yes. They've been doing it up lately too. Oh,
2: you're not kidding.
0: And just watch the all you have to do is watch the trailer for yeah. this and you get you you'll be totally you get the mood. Yes. And boy, it was it was one of the most intriguing trailers I've seen in a while. And hardly any words in the trailer at all, but just the visuals are like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down with that. So that's just another reason. Yeah, we're, we're singing the praises of Shutter uh out this week and it is called Caveat. Next is the true story about the 2009 Abilene, Texas, high school football team. It's called Under the Stadium Lights. It's no mystery. People come together. Incredible.
1: The Abilene Eagles are facing the number one team in Texas.
2: You are fighting
1: for your brothers and for this town.
2: This city chews them up and it spits them out. And you're always there.
1: I know that outside of football, you guys have tough lives.
2: This town is going to forget about you.
0: Life ain't no football game,
2: son.
1: Life doesn't dictate destiny. We'll stand by each each other. No matter what they say, they don't know us. They don't know what we got in here. Hard! 30! He's at midfield! The 40!
0: Boy, this is not good. Uh, This is based on a book called Brothers Keeper. Originally, that was the title of the movie. I don't know why they changed it, because one of the reasons is you got a movie about—it's not a documentary, but it's about Texas high school football. And you're going to change the title and put lights in it? Right. Uh that just invites a comparison that you are not coming out on a good end of. No. Uh, it's it's not it's not a good movie at all. Uh the the cast is uniformly bad except for you've got three veterans in small roles. Uh Lawrence Fishburne everybody knows. And then you've got Glenn Morshower and Noel Gugliemi who you'll know their faces. Uh veteran guys. Other than that the rest Oh and Eddie George. That's uh, buddy, right. Eddie George. He's got a small part. It's so overdone. It, most of the cast either goes from hyperbolic, over-emoting to just cardboard, like Milo Gibson, who is kind of the star here, and he's the sixth son of Mel. He plays the guy, the character that was co-writer of the book it's based on. He was a police officer in the town. He also was the, the team, the high school team chaplain. And this movie is sort of based around the fact that he got them to take part in a, quote-unquote, safe space where they would stand up and they would bear their souls about the problems they were going through at home and lean on each other to get them through it. That's fine. That's very commendable. Mm-hmm. I like that, but not the way it's presented. None of these boys are real people, at least not on screen. No. Uh, they're just, most of them black and brown players, just come off as vessels ...for this white man's word and so that they can ever be vigilant about staying righteous. There's never one mention of girls or sex or anything that you might equate with the normal high High school school senior. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying those are good things. Well, I'm just saying that makes them real people. Right. And these, they don't seem like real people at all. Hardly anybody does. And not only that, the whole thing is another one of those bootstrap fantasies where these boys refuse to be taken down by their environment and so what the the silent message there is anybody that doesn't rise above their environment is just not working hard enough yeah because there's never any talk of any systemic problems in their city or in their community that that might, help keep them down and help perpetuate the kind of situations that they're complaining about when they stand up in the safe space. Sort of like Hillbilly Elegy. Yes. It's the same sort of thing.
2: Except worse because it's
0: a white savior film. (laughs) Yeah. And interestingly enough, I have to say, since it's a football movie, you wonder about the football scenes. Well, director Todd Randall, early on, he kind of does what I thought was a sort of smart and sort of charming thing. He just uses the actual game film from the high school team uh, when it was played which you can see maybe from budgetary reasons was was smarter but then when it gets later on in the season to the big big playoff games then he goes to recreating them and that clash just makes these scenes that kind of look pretend anyway look even more pretend so that started out as a positive but it ended up on the wrong foot. So, I'm sure it's a good story. It seems like they had a great season, and they were probably great kids. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying in bringing that movie to the screen, it really, really comes up just very, very one-dimensional and really not worth it at all. It's called Under the Stadium Lights. It is on VOD. Next is a thriller about a best-selling novelist suffering from writer's block. Hiring a new nanny for her children, the line between fiction and reality starts to blur in deadly illusions.
1: Maybe this is her plan. Get you hooked on her so that she can take everything. Never seen this side of you before. What do you mean? Hi, Mrs. Morrison. I was just waiting to hear which caregiver you want to go with.
0: You have a grace, right?
1: Sorry, we don't
2: have anybody by that name. It's time for you to pay. You hurt me? That's hilarious. That title right there. You're like, yep. this movie's bad.
0: Well, I'm thinking with, with that with that synopsis and that title, I'm thinking this is Lifetime or something like that. <laughs> One of those. Uh, oh, you hire a, a, a good-looking nanny? Mistake. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and in this one, you know, the thing is, you should... You, you get the synopsis, you get the title, you think you know what you're going to get going in, right? You're not going to get a very good movie, but it's going to be pulpy and erotic right. and whatever. It's really, I mean, it kind of tries to be those things, but it just sort of sits there. It doesn't really do much. I mean, it doesn't even sort of satisfy that guilty pleasure angle that it seems like it's going for. Yeah, the
0: Kristen Davis from Sex and the City. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen her for a while. No. She's uh, she's the uh, the mom, and the young nanny is Greer and then the husband is Dermot Melrooney. That's right. Not Dylan McDermott. Not Dylan McDerm- <laughs> <laughs> See, I couldn't even remember his name. Yeah, but the r- written review, you can find at MadWolf.com. It was done by Rachel Willis. And uh, yeah, she was disappointed in the end. Yep. I think she wanted more steamy. She, <laughs> she, she did. did. <laughs> She's like, look, if you're going to promise that, that's right. right? Because that's pretty much what it's promising. It even doesn't even deliver that. But you can check out that uh, complete review at MadWolf.com. Deadly Illusions is on Netflix. And we'll close with a historical drama about the adventures of Sir James Brooke, who defied the British Empire to rule a jungle kingdom in 1840s Borneo, embarked on a lifelong crusade to end piracy, slavery, and headhunting, and inspired both Lord Jim and the man who would be king. Whoa, this is Edge of the World. We are on a voyage of discovery, not conquest.
1: These rebels are pirates. Rakota lied to me. Stop! I finally found a home. And there'll be no more taking of slaves. Englishman, you do not rule here. To have peace,
2: we must make war. This pretending to be king is just too much. We don't belong here.
1: I've been living in a fantasy of
0: my own making. I must love the jungle, the beauty, and the blood. Ah! That sounds like an inspiring dude. It does. I wish the film was a little better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wasn't really putting a lot of potential. I saw uh, Jonathan Rice Myers play Sir James Brooke. And yeah, I know that you I, don't like I'm him I'm sure much. he's a wonderful man. I think he's weak. <laughs>
2: Week. Christy Robb reviewed this one for us, and I I sent it to her promising uh, swashbuckling. But, you know, it it doesn't really hang together. It's a film that I think expects you to know more of the history than you do, and so it kind of leaves you hanging with just a lot of... White guys kind of, you know, rampaging around and exerting their own force and will in uh, nations where they ought not to be. And at the end, that's not the point. The point is like, oh, but look how great this guy is. I don't know.
0: I think you'd have to be a real history buff. I mean, I read Lord Jim in high school. I certainly know the man who would be king. I've never heard of this guy.
2: I've not read either of those. (laughs) So, and I've not heard of this guy, so... And, uh, uh and uh, you know it's it's not I mean it looks good there are moments that are sort of quick- paced and interesting but on the whole it just does not hold together
0: yeah and you can check out uh, Christie's full review madwolf.com for edge of the world which is on VOD right now
2: and hey let's head to the lobby for an update
0: let's all go to the lobby
1: let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby.
0: Back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, and he's always got his ear to the ground about the studio news and the release dates and all that, so what's up this week?
1: Well, I wanted to offer you congratulations because you've been handed a reprieve. and um, NGM has pulled their uh, Stallone superhero movie, Samaritan, from its June date. <laughs> uh, right now it doesn't have a replacement date, and I have a suspicion that it has a lot to do with the Amazon buyout.
0: Oh, yeah. Seems like
1: something they'd probably rather just release direct to Prime once the dust settles on the merger. So you've, you've got some time away from that one for the moment.
0: <laughs> we appreciate your your kind thoughts.
1: <laughs> well, don't appreciate it just yet, because I've got something else for you okay. here in a minute. but. We'll get to that. In the meantime, the South African horror film Gaia will arrive in theaters on June 18th and then hit VOD a week later on June 25th. The Megan Fox thriller Till Death arrives on VOD and in limited theatrical release on July 2nd. Disney's Searchlight Pictures has moved up the release of their uh, drama The Eyes of Tammy Faye by a week to September 17th, and that one stars Andrew Garfield and Jessica Chastain as Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. So hopefully that'll be interesting.
0: Wow. (laughs) God, I cannot wait for that. That's interesting casting. It is.
1: (laughs) Here's your bad news. Paramount has moved up the release of Clifford the Big Red Dog to September 17th instead of coming out in November like it was going to. Hopefully (laughs) that one's not as bad as Tom and Jerry. (laughs) Oh,
0: wow. Now, see, I had succeeded in blocking Tom and Jerry (laughs) out of my mind, and you just brought it up. (laughs)
1: Hey, if I have to remember it, you have to. (laughs) And beyond that, Universal's focus features is unleashing a thriller titled Wolf into theaters on December 3rd.
0: I like the title.
1: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And that's all I've got for you.
0: Ooh, kind of a quiet week, week. huh? Well, that that Stallone news was enough. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you want to keep up to date with uh, Daniel? You can always find him at Schlocketeer. Thanks much. We'll talk to you next week. All
1: right, thanks for having me. See you next week.
0: All right, looking ahead to next week. uh, Got a big one we got to see a week or so ago. Lin Manuel Miranda's new musical. Well, actually, it was his first one. Now coming out in the Heights. That'll be next week. And Holler. Looking forward to that one. Awake. Misfits. House Next Door. Aquila's Escape, and Ladosis. Did I say that right? Mm -hmm. Ladosis. So that's what's coming next week. Might be some more pop-up. I feel that there probably will be. Seems like there always are, and that's fine. We'll talk about them. Until then, let us know what you thought about this week's bunch. Have you made it out back into the uh, theaters? Feeling good about that? Seeing some good stuff? Let us know. We always like to keep the conversation going easy on Twitter. You can find us At Mad Wolf, that is M A D D W O L F, and also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And by the way, speaking of keeping the conversation going, we want to say thanks to Alex who got in touch about our recommendation last week of the movie Plan B.
2: He loved it. He thought both of the leads were great. And he, he, as you did, he compared it to Booksmart, which Mm -hmm. he he really loved that movie. So he was grateful to us for pointing it out to him. Yeah,
0: we love hearing that Mm -hmm. because everybody has heard of the big movies every week. But man, when we're able to just kind of get the word out about a smaller movie like that and hear from somebody, love that. Right. Love that. So uh, yeah, get in touch if you can. And until next week, she's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast.
2: See ya.
0: I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner.
2: Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.